you. So now for the reading of God's word, which we're going to be doing together once again as we go through James chapter 1. So I invite you this morning to find your uh, Bible or your, your insert in the bulletin or read it off the screen. James 1 verses 16 to 18. This is the word of the Lord that we will read together. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. We are grateful for it. Thanks be to God. So as we continue on in the book of James, um, we've been focusing on New Year's reflections, uh, what to do when certain things happen in life, what to do when certain things come, this mor- uh, come, come throughout the course of our life. Um, and as we've gone into February, you know, the beginning of the new year is maybe beginning to fade. The New Year's resolutions are beginning to fade a little bit. Um, but life still comes at us fast. So what do we do when things come? This morning uh, in our verses, in those three verses, verses 16 to 18, we are clued into a new, uh, a new thing. And so just to open us up this morning, I've been, you know, at the beginning of the service, I mentioned, you know, Black History Month, Valentine's Day, the Super Bowl. But we also have the Olympics going on, too. Uh, it's just a lot happening in our world, a lot of things you can be keeping up with. But as I think about both the Olympics and the Super Bowl, you know, things that maybe you've been watching over the last couple of weeks and probably something you'll watch tonight, a lot of people watch the Super Bowl, is in both of those, people have the opportunity to do something that they've worked their entire life to do. To win a gold medal or to win the Super Bowl. And somebody always does that. Someone always wins a gold medal and someone always wins the big game. And so tonight, even as you're watching the Super Bowl and as you're watching someone lift that Lombardi trophy into the sky, and it's not our Patriots, I know it's going to be sad, but someone's going to win and they're going to have a look of joy on their face because they know they've worked their entire life to achieve this very moment. And both the teams tonight haven't won Uh, in a while, at least the Bengals have never won. And so it may even be more special for them. But it begs the question, I want you to be thinking about this in light of the sermon I'm about to give you. What, What do you do when something good happens to you? So this morning, the the blank we're filling in is what to do when gifts come. You know, we've been focusing the last couple of weeks on the hard things that come in life, the trials, the temptations because that's what James has been looking at. But this morning he turns and he begins now to look at something good. What do you do when gifts come, when something great happens to you in life? And again, think about the Super Bowl, but also just think about, you know, uh, I know the Vances, for, for instance, this week, they have a new, a new grandson who came into the world on Friday. So they're really excited about their new grandson. Um, Maybe they're watching us on, online this morning, or maybe you've had something that's happened to you recently as a gift that's come into your life. What do you do when that happens? I want to give just a couple of ways that, that you can react. And not all of them are recommended ways, but these are ways uh, I just want you to kind of follow the progression here. The first way that you can receive a gift, what to do when something happens, is you can receive it with selfish, 
expectation. You can receive it with an attitude of, I expected this to happen. I expected a gift to come because of this. And so look at verse 16. And this is why he, James starts this section with, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. And it kind of jumps out here at this part in the, in the, in the letter because you're kind of wondering, well, what am I not supposed to be deceived about? Well, if you're, again, tracking with us the last couple of weeks, or if you've been reading through James, you'll know that, again, he's talked about trials and temptations these last several weeks. And so he's basically saying, whenever these things happen, you know, uh, don't be, uh, you, you, you can still find hope. You can still find life amidst trials and tribulations. So he's like, that's the, that's the theme that I've been giving to you is you can find life even though bad things have happened. But he's like, but pause here, don't be deceived. When good things happen, you also can still find that true life. And that may be a little hard for us to get our mind to. So let me just kind of get us off the ground here. I think, and I don't think this is hard to prove, that there's a pretty grand worldwide deception going on about gifts, about when good things happen. Charles Spurgeon has a quote. He says, he says, a lie can travel halfway around the world while truth is still putting on its boots. Isn't that true? We live in a world of deception, a world of, of, uh, of kind of taking a good thing or a truthful thing and then twisting it and deceiving others with it. And it's pretty easy to see. And so how, do you, how you handle bad or challenging things? Well, jo- James says, count it all joy, be steadfast, remember that God is not the tempter. But now James is saying, don't forget about when good things come your way. Don't be, to, don't be deceived or led astray to think that it's only difficult to believe in God when bad things happen. Because I think what James is starting to turn into us today is it actually can be very difficult to still trust in God when good things happen, when gifts come your way. When you win the Super Bowl, we can easily turn it into a selfish expectation of my hard work finally paid off. So let me just give you a couple of things here. We often forget that gifts do not come from, number one, you. You cannot give yourself a gift, a true gift. So again, think about Valentine's Day tomorrow, for instance. You can't can't give yourself a true Valentine's gift. I mean, you can go buy yourself a heart box of chocolates and eat it, but it's, that's buying it for yourself. That's not a gift, right? You have to receive it from somebody else. So gifts do not come firstly from you. And this is where the world has deceived us. You know, in one way, it's not from your effort or hard work. And this one's going to press in on the American dream thing a little bit on us. So I know you're probably going to get a little uncomfortable as I start talking about this, but our world, and I would say our country, I would say our generation has taught us that we, in some sense, control our own destiny. That if you work hard enough, if you put in the effort, you can achieve anything. That's what I was taught growing up. And I don't think that's all bad. I'm not saying that hard work is bad or, or getting a reward for working hard is a bad thing. It's not. It's a good thing. I, I would say work hard. And I would say if my mom and dad are watching, that's not bad advice that you gave me to work hard. And I would say, tell that to your children too. But that's not where gifts come from. 
Gifts don't come from your hard work. I think Satan tries to teach us that when good gifts come, it's all because we did something right. Satan loves to try to convince us of our lack of need for God. And Satan loves to try to convince us of God's lack of providing for us. Satan, when something good happens, Satan does, he wants nothing more than to say, God did not help with that. That was all you. Stephen, you lifted all the weights so that you could lift 300 pounds, which I never did. But it's not you. It's not God. It's you. That's what Satan loves to say. He loves to boost us up, which makes us feel good. But it's, he's saying God has nothing to do with that. We often forget also that gifts do not come from our wallet or from our success. I think this one's easier to understand. You can't buy happiness. If you've you've tried, you've realized that you don't get very far. You can buy a great house or a great car, but you always end up wanting more. If you just say, if I just had this, then I could really get what I want in life. And that never ends up fulfilling you. Gifts cannot be bought with money and they can't be earned just through your success. And then third, you can't earn gifts just from good luck. So I was watching a documentary this week on Tom Brady, our guy, Tom Brady, right? <laughs> I was watching a documentary on him and it really, it helped me, it helped me understand his, his perspective on life in a couple of senses. Number one is he was very free to admit throughout this documentary that he's not the most talented person in the world that there's a lot more talented athletes in the world. But he said, I worked really hard. So there again, that's, that's one of the idols maybe that he had is, is working hard. But secondly, and this was, this, this, was, this was disarming as he said it, but as I began to think about it, I began to see the trick this can play on us. The second thing he emphasized was how lucky he had gotten. So if you remember, speaking of snow, there was a game 20 years ago during his first season playing where there was a big snow game and he, the tuck rule, remember this? He was trying to throw the ball and he fumbled it and they, they thought they lost the game, but the refs came back and overturned the call because of this little nuance in the rule book called the tuck rule. And Tom Brady said, that was the luckiest thing that ever could have happened to me because if they hadn't over, overturned that call, my career may have never gone anywhere. So I got lucky. And then he, he could mention a number of things throughout his career. But what I want to say is that is that gifts are not about luck either. It's not just about being in the right place at the right time or having the right fortune fall your way. Gifts are more than that. Gifts cannot even be given to you from others. You can't, you can't receive happiness from your rich uncle. You can't receive uh, the gift of, of eternal life from your boss. And you can't receive true gifts from others. And you can't even receive true gifts from the world. Do not be deceived, James says. Do not be deceived. There's a a Christian artist that I listened to growing up who wrote a song, and there's a, a line in the song that says, this world has nothing for me, and this world has everything. And it's so true. This world has everything, and yet it doesn't have anything specifically for us. Do not be deceived because true gifts cannot come from ourselves, cannot come from others, cannot even come from the world. And yet we, we deceive ourselves into thinking that it can. C.S. Lewis, the, the writer, has a, a really well-known 
uh, paragraph in his book, Mere Christianity, talking about our desires, which James talks about earlier in his book. But this is what C.S. Lewis says. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday or vacation at the sea. We are far too easily pleased, is what he says. We settle for the gifts that the world offers us. But James, in James 1.16, does not let us get there. He says, do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Again, you see that love that he's speaking with here? Do not be deceived. I love you. Let me tell you a better way to approach gifts. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. The deception is that gifts can come from somewhere else. James says, gifts only come from God, who is from above, good and perfect gifts. So as C.S. Lewis says, stop pursuing the little things and go for the infinite joy that is offered to you. So let's dive into this. So the second way to receive a gift, if the first way was through this maybe selfish expectation of like you can live through life and find it on your own, through your own hard work or through luck, the second way to receive a gift is a little better. It's with simple recognition. When you receive a gift, it's really a great thing to say thank you to whoever gave you the gift, right? And usually that'll, that'll suffice for whoever has given you the gift. It's like, well, they acknowledged my gift. Thank you. And that's getting closer to what our attitude should be with regards to gifts, but it's not fully there. But let's, let's unpack this one a little bit more. The truth that this passage gives us is that God is the one who gives. He's the giver of every good and perfect gift. And there's a lot of people around the world who believe in that, who think that's true. Christians believe that's true, but also Jews think that's true. Mormons think that's true. Muslims think that's true. Anybody who believes in a God believe that he is a generous God, that he gives good gifts. And most of us that have a, like a theistic worldview, a belief in a God, when something good happens to us, we, we can usually get ourselves to the place of saying thank you to God. And so again, if you're watching the Super Bowl tonight, there's a pretty good chance that they'll interview somebody right after the game and they'll say, tell us, you just won the Super Bowl. What do you want to say now? And someone will say, I just want to thank God because if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here. Someone will say something along those lines, which I think is great. I think it's commendable, but it's not fully there to what James wants us to get at. We love to say when we get a gift, thank you, God, I couldn't have done it without you. I'm blessed. And this is not inherently wrong, but it's just the first step. It's incomplete. What's behind some of this, the faulty understanding of just the simple recognition is the depth of why and how God gives to us. You see, if, if God is about making my life a material blessing, then, then the thank you is, is sufficient. 
you know, God turns into a, he turns into a genie God where as long as you say thank you, then he'll keep giving to you. And he just wants my, maybe he just wants our attention. Maybe God is just, is just that needy that as long as you say thank you or recognize him, then he'll continue to give. And you know, and there's some, there's some danger here because there's scriptures that really lead into this thinking. Um, and they're true scriptures, but they're just, they take a little bit of broken twisting to turn it into a, a different thing. So for instance, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. It's a beautiful verse, one of my favorite verses. But if you're not careful, you can take that and in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make my path straight as saying, as long as I just acknowledge him when something good happens, then he'll keep making my path straight. It's not quite that easy. Another way we do this is simply seeing God as a partner in fulfilling my wants or desires. You know, kind of like the Super Bowl guy. I couldn't have done this without you, God. Like he's a business partner who came into the story to help you accomplish what you wanted to do. Which again, we want God to be our partner in life. We want him to be involved in our life. But God is not the co-pilot flying us to our destination that we tell him to go to. He is the one who is directing us exactly where he wants to go, right? So it's not about a business partner, God. And again, there's another verse you can take that you've probably heard that you can easily you know, put on a wall in your house and, and believe this a little too much. Romans 8, 28. God works all things together for those who love him. It's true. But it's not about your desire. It's about his. And another way here is, you know, God ultimately will bless the world if you just stumble into the right scenario. You know, this is the hashtag I'm blessed movement, right? Of my life is pretty good. And I owe that to God because he is, he's given me the right scenario in life, almost like a, like a fairy godmother god of some sort. So think about Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to give you a hope, plans to prosper you, plans to give you a future. A beautiful verse that was originally written in the context of exile to people who had been far away from God, who he's given them a promise of restoration. It's not meant for people who are looking to make a lot of money in America. Again, God wants our blessing, but he wants it through his gracious, abundant generosity and mystery, and mystery of how he gives. So ultimately, then we come to the question of why does God give? In this passage, you know, it talks about God being the father of lights with whom there is no variation due to change. God gives because he is the creator. He's the father of lights. He's before all things. He sees the beginning from the end. The God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul says, 2 Corinthians 4, 6. He exists in glorious light and not in darkness, which means his goal in giving is light and abundance and truth and openness and beauty. 
He gives because he is the truth. He doesn't vary. He doesn't exist in the shadows. He exists in the light. He gives because he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he gives because he is the redeemer. That is his character. His giving is to lead us into something that we cannot get ourselves. That's what it means to be redeemed. He gives us what we cannot give ourselves. And ultimately then he gives by his grace. And this is the word we're, gonna, we're just gonna focus on for the last of this sermon. For the next five minutes or so, grace is the word that you have to take with you out of this place today. God gives out of his abundant grace because he is a gracious God. Grace is a free, undeserved gift flowing from the abundant heart of the God who is generous. And we've already seen this in James, right? Verse five, chapter one, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to him. God gives good gifts, it says in this passage. And I would say the good gifts are ones even that we don't understand. And that's where the last couple of weeks come into play, the, the trials, the temptations, the hard things in life, the difficulties, the pain, the losses, even those through the eyes of faith, of understanding that God is a God of grace, even those things, as James has been teaching us, can be seen as good gifts. Again, I grew up in the South, so I listened to country music growing up, and there's a song that says, thank God for unanswered prayers, right? Because of, I think the line goes, because some of God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Think about if you got everything that you wanted in life that you prayed for, how weird your life would be <laughs> if you got every prayer answered. Because God knows the right the right things that you need. Tim Keller says that God answers the prayer that you should have prayed because that's how gracious he is. He doesn't answer the prayers that are terrible prayers. Lord, let me marry this girl because she's the best when you're 14 years old. You know, God knows better and God gives you good gifts. But even better, God gives perfect gifts. It says in verse 17, he is the giver of every good and perfect gift. The word perfect there is telos in Greek. Telos just means perfect, complete, the most fulfilling, the end goal of all things. He gives the perfect gifts. The ones that we don't even know how to pray for, he gives to us. Because as Deuteronomy 32, for instance, says, he is perfect. All his ways are just. He's a God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. So he knows best and he gives best. This is the special grace that God pours out on those who have faith in him. He goes before us. He draws us by his grace. He enables us to respond in faith and to receive the gift of eternal life, of salvation. That's the perfect gift that God gives. And so this transitions us into the third best way to receive gifts. What to do when gifts come? What would James lead us into? There's a hundred ways you probably could say this same idea, but I'll just put it this way. The truest way to receive a gift is with humble joy. Humble joy. Verse 18, it says, of his own, of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. 
I don't want you to miss what I think are the three most important words in four most important words in this passage. I think they're easy to overlook. Of his own will. How does God give? He gives out of his own pleasure, out of his own will. Meaning, he didn't have to. He doesn't have to. He could stop right now if he wanted to. But we know enough about his will now because he's revealed it in the person of Jesus and through the Holy Spirit. God's will is a will of grace and love and lavish mercy. And that's why he gives. And that's how he gives. That's why he gives over and over. Despite our undeserving, despite our sin, despite our brokenness, God continues to give. And he gives out of his abundant mercy. God chose us. In other, other places in scripture, it says he predestined us, which is a rabbit trail sermon. But what it means basically is that God knew you before the foundation of the world. He, he knew you would hear the good news at the time you were supposed to hear it. And he knew the moment you would receive it. And he knows the moment when you'll, when you'll turn your heart over to him because he's a God of grace and mercy. And he alone can do that. No preacher can do that. No friend can do that. Only God can do that out of his grace because he knows you intimately. He does it by the word of truth, it says. Just take a moment here to, to, to realize how deeply valuable you are to God as a person. That you are a human being created in the image of the living God to reflect his glory to shine as lights in the world, to take the hope of the good news of the gospel to the corners of the earth that you alone can get to, to your workplaces, to the slums, to unreached people groups that we prayed for, to broken families and systems, to governments, to relationships of all kinds, to be little pockets of light to the whole world. And this is why the, the church and moments like this together on Sunday mornings are times of encouragement for us to be who God has created us to be, to remind ourselves of the gracious gift we've been given as humans. And to remember that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. This is not your own doing, but it is the gift of God, not by works so that no man can boast because we are God's workmanship, created in others to do good works. We are blessed to be a blessing blessed to be a blessing. If you have your Bible open in front of you, um, if you turn over probably one page to the very last two verses of James, of the book of James, James 5, the last two verses, how he finishes his little letter here. Verses 19 and 20, he says this, my brothers, if any of, if any among you wanders from the truth, and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover over a multitude of sins. Don't you see? You've been showered with grace so that you can help bring someone else into the saving love of Christ. And in doing so, you will not only save that person's soul by the blood of Jesus, but you will save your own soul and cover over a multitude of sins. A true Christian 
receives a gift in humility, lives a life of joy that brings others along onto the saving ship of the salvation of Christ. Don't be deceived by what the world says, this is what a gift is. Don't be deceived to think that, oh, if I just won the Super Bowl, my life would be good too. Or if I lived in Tom Brady's mansion, which is huge, by the way, from the documentary. If I lived in that mansion, then my life would be great. The grace of Jesus is more infinite and will bring you more joy than anything. Let me just finish with an illustration for you just to maybe bring it home for you. There's a movie that I watched, came out years ago. Um, It's about a gangster in New York City. You probably didn't think you're gonna hear about a gangster in church this morning, did you? But here you go. Uh, It's about a gangster in New York City uh, who started making a ton of money by doing really bad things, because that's what gangsters do. Um, but he was, he was smart enough to kind of keep a low profile so that the police wouldn't look to him, but if they were to find out about his enterprise, they would probably find someone else first because he was the top guy. So he kept a low profile. But as he got richer and richer and more powerful and more powerful, he began to let that slip a little bit. And finally, his wife bought him a giant fur coat, a like, really flamboyant, you know, showy fur coat. And again, this guy didn't really want to wear it because he knew it'd probably draw some attention to himself. But finally, because it was a gift from his wife, he said, okay, I'll wear it for you. So he wore this big coat. He went and sat front row at a boxing match in New York. And guess who began to take notice of him? The police. And sure enough, as the, that was the turning point in the story of the movie, sure enough, that's what put their eyes onto him. The moral of the story, right, is that how you receive a gift matters. And if the gift you receive is to put on something that draws attention to yourself or makes you feel great or puts something back to you, or even if it's just a simple thank you, like he was trying, I think, out of good intent for his wife, it was all faulty because of the sin that was there from the beginning. Receive with humble joy the gift of grace that Christ is giving to us. Next week, our first, uh, one of our first points next week in, in verse 21 is, therefore put away all filthiness and wickedness and receive with humility the implanted word which is able to save your soul. How do you receive a gift with humble joy? Let me pray for us and then we'll transition to a time of uh, sharing the Lord's Supper together. Heavenly Father, we want to see with the eyes of faith that you alone and trust that you alone are the only giver of good and perfect gifts, that any good that comes in our world that comes to us is a gift straight from your gracious hand, that even the hard things can be seen later as good with the eyes of faith through the perspective that you give us. So Lord, as we receive the Lord's Supper now, may we also receive that as a gift, as a reminder of what you've done for us in the person of Christ when he died on the cross for our sins. It's in his name we pray, amen.